Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. It's State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Leila Falden with NPR's best reporting on a war that's changing the world. Europe is on edge. Russia's assault on Ukraine has sent shockwaves along the thousand miles of its border with countries in the European Union. Some people are scared that the Iron Curtain will come down again. To understand why, let's look to the Arctic Circle, to the northern tip of Norway's border with Russia, where Quill Lawrence reports. The city of Hirkenes is Norway's best-known border town with Russia. Lately, it's also known for its hockey team. That's thanks to this television series about the Hirkenes Puckers. They play in a mostly Russian hockey league. What are all these up here? Some are um, gifts from all the Russian teams. On a recent visit, the Puckers' home rink in Hirkenes doesn't really live up to the hype. The city is 250 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So while the rink doesn't melt, it does often get covered with snow, and the city snowplows are sometimes too busy. Two players still showed up hoping for a game. One of them came by bicycle. It's snowing outside. There's four inches of snow on the rink. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, negative. Is it zero or negative one outside? I think it's minus four. Minus four. We're in the Arctic. It's dark out. It's a Tuesday night, and you still came out to play hockey. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Because it's fun. <laughs> and to get some exercise and, yeah, have fun. Are Draglam plays on the adult team. There's a kids' league, too. The Puckers' slogan translates as busting down borders. But that border is now firmly shut. There's no telling when it will be back. The matches will be back on again, but uh, I hope the league will survive. Uh, I think in some months or, uh, or weeks, uh, that's no problem. But uh, many years might be a problem. But, uh, yeah, we just have to wait and see what happens in the world. And then there's the Puckers' star center. My first uh, trip to Russia was in uh, 1995. Then I played the European Championship for Women's in Yaroslav. Guru Bransog sees the hockey team as an embodiment of the city's philosophy and as its survival strategy. People living up here, we, we, we need to feel secure. And I think we managed to have a low tension between the neighboring countries up here in the north by cooperating in areas where we can cooperate, like in science, like in people-to-people relations, like in also business relations. Bransog also serves as CEO of the Hirkenes Conference. It's a kind of business summit between Russia and Norway. This year was the 14th annual, and it started out okay. So on Wednesday the 23rd, I welcomed our foreign minister and the Russian ambassador. Uh, already then it was some tension, but I think for, for the people that visited the conference, they were most happy uh, in a way we were heading out of the corona pandemic. Norway had eased all its mask mandates and people were just happy to meet in person again. And then we woke up on the morning on the 24th. We had on the second day of the conference and the Russian had started bombing Ukraine. It was a huge shock. People were, were actually crying. They were so... Yeah, it was a huge shock. Many people up here in Chirkinas, that they thought... We, we never thought he would be that crazy. I think that we see when what Putin are really capable of. 
I th- yeah, we've been questioning ourselves. It's been sobering, she says, to hear friends in Russia enthusiastically supporting Putin. She doesn't question the need to sanction Russia, but Bransog also worries that the sanctions will mostly hurt regular Russians. And it's not just the Russian economy. Here in Hirkenes, about 70% of the economy depends on crossing the border, says Thomas Nielsen with the Barents Observer newspaper. The 24th of February was the real reality check for this uh, town. Everyone that had a hope of open door, cross-border, free trade uh, relation uh, with Russia uh, lost all that hope. So everything that has been built up over the last 30 years was just washed out in a few days. I mean, we, we are seeing the Iron Curtain coming back. That Iron Curtain severed personal ties, economic links, and even efforts toward mutual survival, Nilsson says. For years, Norway had been helping Russia safely dispose of spent fuel rods from its aging nuclear submarines, which were stationed up here in the Arctic. Nilsson sent us to see the Norwegian nuclear scientists who are now stuck at their research station on the border. I drive there in 45 minutes, but you will, you, you should uh, spend an hour on the route. Right. White knuckle driving in what most people not from the Arctic would call a blizzard to the park station, where we meet a man who collects dust from the wind. So my name is uh, Bredo Müller, and I work with the Norwegian Radiation Safety Authority. Muller takes us outside across a snowy field to see his machines. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> this is actually a lot of snow. It's And laughs when I sink through the crust of snow up to my waist. Oh, my God. The, uh, do you mind? C- can I take a picture of you? Is that okay? This is perfect. <laughs> then he flips open the hood of his filter. It looks like a white mushroom cap the size of a washing machine. You see? So this is the... Uh, Air sampler we're talking about. So this has been running here for 25 years, non-stop, 24-7. So if the concentration are getting too uh, high enough, it will also trigger an alarm. Muller collects dust off the filter screen, and then back at the lab, he puts it into one of two thick kegs. These are called um, high-purity germanium detectors. And these can detect very, very small trace-level amounts of radioactive particles. And with that, he can read the signature, tell if the radiation comes from a source in Europe or from the still-hot Chernobyl site, or if it's a new leak. And then we, we alert internally if we see something we should normally not see. If something pops hot, he's got a landline telephone to Oslo. You know, that's uh, more or less why we're here, of course, uh, to monitor what's on the other side of the border, just a few kilometers from here. In a way, you can say uh, we are some, some kind of a nuclear watchdog on the border to Russia. That's to prevent one of the world's biggest nuclear waste dumps in Russia from polluting the pristine waters of the Arctic and to stop spent fuel rods from getting stolen and used for terrorism in a dirty bomb. Muller says just last November, Norway marked 25 years of cooperation on this, and he went to Murmansk, Russia, for a celebration with his colleagues, who are his friends. So uh, I have many friends, Nikolai, and uh, we have Sasha, and we have Olva, and all of these people are now in, in Murmansk, I know, just um, shaking their heads like me now and waiting for this to end. He's certain that his Russian friends there oppose the war in Ukraine like he does. They just can't speak out right now. 
But it's chilling that many local officials across the border, as well as 700 rectors and university presidents in Russia, issued statements supporting Putin. And that makes Brito Muller worry that even this vital work might not resume soon. It will take many, many years, I'm afraid, to get back to that trust that we have been gained through these 25 years of cooperation. It is, uh, yeah, it is a bit frightening times. Quill Lawrence, NPR News, Hirkenes in the Arctic Circle, Norway. Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine makes it hard to remember or even imagine that in the early years of his presidency, two decades ago, Vladimir Putin was on a charm offensive with the West. He was seeking respect abroad while pledging new openness at home. Don Gagne takes us back to one such moment more than 20 years ago in Texas. It was November of 2001 in rural Crawford, Texas, population 705 back then. President George W. Bush owned a ranch just outside of town, and he and the First Lady had invited Russian President Vladimir Putin and his wife to spend the night. The next morning, two presidents dropped by the local high school. We had a great dinner last night. We had a little Texas barbecue, pecan pie. A little Texas music. And I think the president really enjoyed himself. The so-called Crawford Summit took place two months after the 9-11 terror attacks. In the high school gymnasium, Bush told students how Putin had been the first world leader to call him on September 11th. Bush described him as a strong partner in fighting terrorism. Putin, through an interpreter, spoke of friendship and cooperation. And being here, I can feel the will of this people, the will to cooperate with the Russian Federation, the will to cooperate with Russia. And I can assure you that the Russian people fully shares this commitment and is also committed to fully cooperating with the American people. Then they took questions from students. One dealt with Afghanistan and women's rights and the then imminent fall of the Taliban government. In his answer, Putin warned there should be no atrocities. And we should not, we should not uh, allow any atrocities or violations of human rights to happen. Fast forward to today, and the headlines are about Russian atrocities in Ukraine. Amanda Lemons, a senior, asked a question that day. She wanted to know about Bush's travel plans. Have you decided on whether you're going to go to Russia or not? Well, uh, (laughs) the president invited me, and I accepted But the big moment for her came later, when she shook hands with Putin after the event. Reflecting now, she says time seemed to slow down. I remember, actually, I remember the color of his eyes. They were a dark, you know, deep uh, blue. I was like, I know he's got blue eyes. And she distinctly remembers how Putin's hands felt. I don't know, they just, they were cold. Like, you know, they had a chill to them or something. You know, maybe it was too cold in the auditorium or, or, you know, or wherever he was, you know, at first. But yeah, his hands just, they were cold. Today, her name is Amanda Buckner. She's 38 years old and says when she watches TV and sees images from Ukraine, she finds herself shaken by that previously proud moment from her youth. Did I really sit there and meet a man who just, you know, bombs, you know, innocent women and children? I can't, 
like I, I really couldn't. I was I was beside myself, and, and it kind of I felt really overwhelmed. Mary Elise Serati is a Russian expert at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. She says the summit in Crawford was certainly a high point in terms of U.S.-Russia relations after the Cold War. But she also cautions that it's an overstatement to describe the cooperation on display back then as truly collegial. Both parties were getting what they wanted out of the summit, which is not the same thing as collegiality. And I think we in America, in a sense, were mistaking that for a a deeper collegiality that was not, in fact, there. Putin wanted to be seen as an equal. Bush wanted help confronting global terrorism. But any hope for a real friendship faded within a few years over many conflicts. Could a moment like we saw in Crawford ever come around again? Sarati says history can certainly surprise. She cites the unexpected swiftness of the Berlin Wall coming down, for example. But on U.S.-Russia relations, she says any future cooperative moment seems very far away. Don Gagne, NPR News. This is State of Ukraine. Nina Kravinsky and Milton Gavada produced and Catherine Laidlaw edited this episode. I'm Leila Faldin. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.